turn your Bibles and grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. <laughs> turn on your tablets, do whatever you do, look at the back screen, whatever works for you. You stand to your feet. We're back in the book of Corinthians, as you all know, we're, we're working through the book of Corinthians, so we... I believe in expositing the word of God, and we believe that God's word um, has something to say. We don't have to be creative and make up something. We just simply go through uh, what God has put on the pastor's heart to preach through. And we know that the book of Corinthians is written by a man by the name of Apostle Paul. Um, he planted a church in a city called Corinth. He started this church, and he's left Corinth, and he's been gone for about five years. While he was at Corinth, he simply preached about the cross of Jesus. And he built his ministry on the good news of Jesus around the, the life, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He taught the church of Corinth what it means to, to have their identity in him, to, to know him, and to see that their relationship with him is the most significant relationship. Well, five years later, he's left and he's received word from Chloe and some other people that's at Corinth that things have went away. And the reason they've went away is because the church is no longer focusing on the cross as the central message, but now they are focusing on human wisdom and philosophy. The cross has become secondary. It's important that we remind ourselves, as one theologian says, that the cross of Christ is not the ABCs of Christianity, but rather it's the A through Z of Christianity. We never move past it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, we're starting a new series uh, within the book of Corinthians called Blooming Where God Has Planted You. Blooming Where God Has Planted You. And today, uh, we'll be, and, and for the series, we'll be looking at marriage and singleness. Marriage and singleness. And Paul is going to teach us that no matter if we're married or single, if it's going great or if it's, if it's horrible, that God wants you to bloom, to grow right where you are. The precious, authentic, sufficient, inerrant, majestic, wonderful word of God reads. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a little time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, part one of the series is entitled Sexual Intimacy in Marriage. Sexual Intimacy in Marriage. When I played basketball in grade school, I would always get anxious during the tip-off. And I would get anxious because I had, as I still do, a bad sense of direction. I feared catching the ball off of the tip and running in the wrong direction and scoring a basket for the other team. So I would literally begin to like hyperventilate at tip-off and try to make sure that I knew which way was our goal and which way was the other team's goal. I had seen someone before score on the opposite team's goal off the tip. And I saw how embarrassing that was, so I now lived in fear. But now that I look back on that anxiety, I can see that these were silly feelings because very little was at stake. If I had scored for the opposing team at the beginning of the game, it's not really that big of a deal. I may have been teased, I may have been embarrassed, but the game would have went on. But here's the lesson. When the stakes are low, our confusion about something isn't a big deal. But when the stakes are high, clarity is very important. 
One area that we need clarity in, in the body of Christ, is in the area of sexuality. If we're confused about what God says about sexual relations, then we are in trouble because sexual misunderstandings cost more than two points. It can cost a game. It can cost a season. And if we're not careful, it can cost us a career. In other words, sexual confusion can wreck a marriage and it can even wreck a life. We must rigorously seek biblical clarification on our sexuality. The church is just as confused about sexuality as the world is. This week, the Presbyterian Church, USA, came together and they voted about marriage. And they had a 71% vote in favor to change the definition of marriage from being between one man and one woman, one woman, to be, be, being between two people. This is the church. 71% of the church wanted to redefine marriage. Within our marriages, as Christians, many couples are struggling in the area of sexual relations because we have failed to address the issue head on as a church. We have failed to talk about what it looks like within marriage to glorify God with our sex life. And as a result, many couples are, are crushed and, and, and disengaged and, 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 and hating the bedroom. Many couples go into marriage with the wrong idea about what sexual relations should look like within marriage. And they bring baggage from the past or baggage from pornography or baggage from Hollywood. And they have these great expectations that marriage is going to work out this way and look like this and that, that their sex life is going to be great. And then they enter into marriage and it's not and it's disappointing and they're crushed. And as a church, we must talk about that. But not only is the church confused, we know that culture is confused. Have you been following the debate on transgender persons and homosexual marriage? Have you heard about the websites that are devoted to helping spouses have affairs and keep it a secret? Listen, many marriages are decaying because couples are overwhelmed with the lack of sexual intimacy or quality of sexual intimacy in marriage. But we as Christians, we can praise God that God's word has a solution for it. That God's word is not silent about the bedroom. That God's word gives clarity and that we as the people of God, if we embrace the vision that God has given us for sexual intimacy and marriage, that we can find power, healing, and inspiration. Today's passage helps us gain clarity on what God expects from married couples within their sexual relationships. Couples, God's word, speak to us, and we must go to it in order for us not to be confused. In verse number seven, we see that Paul seeks to clear up the confusion in the Corinthian church. There's confusion in Corinth. He says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. It appears that the church of Corinth had written a letter to the Apostle Paul about issues that they were having and what was being taught at the church. So Paul is responding to their concerns. The church was confused about sexual issues and, and like us, they had significant baggage. So Paul, in verse 1, addresses what they wrote. He says, now concerning the matters in which you wrote... It is good for a man not to have sexual relations. So that's what they were saying. They were saying it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. The word woman could also be translated in, in context, I believe, means with a wife. There was a group that believed that men should not have sexual relationships with their wives. So here in the church of Corinth, we see two extremes. 
One extreme was on display in the previous section that we preached about. And that extreme said that what we do with our bodies really doesn't matter. And it's okay for Christian husbands, if they're not being satisfied in their marriage, to go and to be satisfied in the area of of sexuality with local prostitutes. So they were going to idolatrous temples and they were saying sex really doesn't matter. What we do with our body really doesn't matter. So they'll go and get fulfillment in that area. That was one extreme. The second extreme was, a, was, was kind of bathed in a, a, a spirituality. This extreme said that a, a pious or spiritual man doesn't have sex and he keeps himself from sexual relations with his wife. And some have argued that there were women in the church who believed this. And as a result, the men of the church were going elsewhere for satisfaction. Looking at the context, I believe that this is a, a, a correct interpretation. It is a reasonable argument, and I think one can make a strong case. So at the end of the chapter 6, we see that Paul dealt with the men who were joining themselves with prostitutes. And what he did is he changed their mindset about sex. He first dealt with their mind. He took their arguments, and he dealt with their mind. Then he changed their footsteps. He said, no, you need to flee from sexual immorality. And then after dealing with his footsteps, he He dealt with ownership. He said, you are no longer, you no longer belong to you. You were bought with a price. But now Paul is dealing with the argument that these wives are making. He is dealing with this argument that they are probably making, saying that uh, that a holy man doesn't have to have sex. That a a holy man doesn't have to have, uh, have sexual relations with his wife. He's dealing with these two extremes. Now, there are probably a number of reasons why these wives could have come to this conclusion. Maybe their husbands, maybe their husbands were just sex fiends. And they were just so sexually aggressive that these women came together and said, no, we need to have a theology of sex that corrects their mindset. Maybe they weren't being fulfilled emotionally. And therefore, there was little sexual interactions going on. Maybe the wives were saying, you know, my husband, he's, he's, he's not a great communicator and he doesn't take out the trash and he doesn't do things at home. So um, we're not connecting emotionally. So since we're not connecting emotionally, we're not going to connect sexually. And maybe they begin to hang these things over their head and say, since you won't talk to me the way I want you to talk to me, you can't touch me the way that you want to touch me. Or maybe they had come to the conclusion that because their husbands were jerks, that they didn't have to engage them in that way. But whatever the conclusion was, it was a result of bad theology, a bad understanding of God, and a bad understanding of of the gift of sex. Sex is a gift. It's artistic beautiful God who created the heavens and the earth, the, the oceans, to the, to, the, to the last galaxy, created us with an autonomy that perfectly fits and works together in order that we could experience joy together and glorify God as husband and wife in such an intimate way. And I'm sure that in a room this size today that there are couples that haven't engaged each other sexually in weeks, in months, or even years, because of confusion, because of fear, because of anger, because of personal brokenness. And and I want to encourage you today to just journey with me and and find biblical clarity on God's power to heal you and your spouse. And at the same time, we're going to look at how sexual, our sexual responsibility to our spouse. Second thing we see in this text is that Paul gives clarity on sexual relations in marriage. In verse 2 it says, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the the wife does. 
In verse 3 and 4, Paul teaches some very important truths about marriage and sexual intimacy. He brings us clarity. Paul teaches that sexual intimacy is a marriage right for both spouses. Look at what he says. He says that the husband shall give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise her wife to the wife to her husband. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, we see the foundation of marriage being laid out by God. It is, to me, the most critical verse in the Bible about marriage from a a human perspective. It is a, a call. That text says, for this cause, a man shall leave his mother and his father and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. A number of things are implied in the term one flesh in Genesis chapter 224. But I believe one of the main applications of this term is that the two shall become sexually intimate and consummate the union through sexual relations. So sexual intimacy from the very beginning is a right in marriage. If you get married, it is expected and it is commanded that you engage with your spouse in this way. He goes on to say that for both the husband and the wife, to both the husband and the wife, that your spouse now has authority over your body. And I know that as I read that, somebody said, I slipped and bumped your head. Right? Got authority over my own body. But Paul is saying, to put it another way, that when you get married, one of the responsibilities of marriage What comes with marriage, that union, is that your body is now her body, and her body is now your body. Now this will be a a really bad time to walk out the sanctuary, so hear me out on this. (laughs) Because I am not condoning abuse in marriage. A husband or wife should never rape, abuse, or pressure their spouse into sex. If your spouse is not willing to have sexual intercourse with you, you should not intimidate them or hold it against them to hurt them. To do so is demonic, it is ungodly, and it is wrong. A husband or wife should never threaten to have to leave their spouse because they are sexually unfulfilled. Though sexual intimacy is a right and our bodies are shared, it should never be achieved through force or intimidation. Now, some couples struggle with sexual intimacy because of certain issues. Maybe the issue is medical. Maybe the issue is that one of the spouses in the past experienced sexual abuse or some type of brokenness. And if that's you, I, I want you to know that it's, it's okay. That there's, there's many people who struggle with that. And we stay in a fallen and a, a broken world and, and we experience pains and hurts and, and abuse and, and we carry baggage into our marriage and, and you should not hold your head down. You should step into that pain with Christ and And embrace his grace and know that his grace is sufficient for you. Embrace the fact that God's grace can help you to find solutions to those problems. If you're dealing with medical, professional issues, I want to encourage you to go to a a medical doctor. I want to encourage you to go and get professional counseling or to come to me or one of the other pastors and, and talk about it. Because many people in many marriages are struggling with with sexual relations as a result of it. Sex should never hurt. Sexual relations should never hurt. It it, it should never hurt physically, and it definitely should not hurt psychologically. And for the spouse who is married to a spouse who struggles in one of these areas, it's important that uh, that you walk with Jesus. If, if your spouse is, is dealing with some type of baggage and, and they're not connecting the way that you would want them to connect or the way that you fantasize them connecting, man, you, you just need to hold on to Jesus and be encouraging. Don't hold that over the head. Don't say smart, snarl remarks. Don't threaten to go and find fulfillment somewhere else. Don't run to pornography. 
Don't run to other, other sins and other outlets. No, you look to Jesus and you believe as we sung that Jesus is all we need. Jesus is better than sex. Jesus can fulfill you. You run to Jesus, attach yourself to him, abide in him, and allow the Holy Spirit to take root in you. And the fruit of the Spirit will start showing up and you'll have patience and long-suffering. And that wish dream, that fantasy that you had about sex and marriage will begin to erode and God will begin to give you a better vision of intimacy. Pour out your heart to your spouse. Work on connecting emotionally. Work on connecting spiritually and see what God will do with it. We need to make sure that we never allow sex to become our God. As Christians, we've been born again. We're no longer slaves to the world and to our flesh. We are now slaves to Christ. That's what love is. That's what our vows said. When we stood before a preacher, we, we promised that we will be with our spouse for better or for worse in sickness and in health to death do we part. And for those who may not have the desire or the ability to engage in, in, in vaginal sexual intercourse for some reason, I just want to encourage you to do all you can to, uh, to please your, your, your spouse in other ways, to be sensitive to their needs. The word says in verse 5, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So here we see Paul gives one exception against pursuing sexual intimacy. He says the only reason that a couple uh, really should, should intentionally not be engaging sexual intimacy, of course, uh, given the, the things that I've just said, is, is a spiritual reason. Paul says it's okay not to have sexual intimacy in the case of a husband and a wife coming together to do what? To pray. But even when he says it, he he quickly says that they should come together quickly and and only separate for a limited time. But what are some of the spiritual reasons that, that Paul would say this? Why would Paul say it's okay not to engage with your spouse? Um, in sexual intimacy. What was on Paul's mind, right? Well, for one, I believe that uh, Paul is saying this because sexual intimacy can easily become an idol for one or both persons. People become addicted to sexual intercourse. Sex is powerful. And Paul is saying, It's possibly saying, hey, it's okay for you all to separate for a season and not to engage each other with sexual intimacy or intercourse um, if you're using that time to pray. So maybe that's you. Maybe you you depend on sex too much, and if you don't get it, your world is just falling apart, and you got an attitude, you can't function. Husband or wife, it's probably time for you to take a little sabbatical and spend that time in prayer. It happens. Another possibility is because one or both persons are disappointed with sexual intercourse. They had this vision of what sexual intercourse would look like in marriage, and it didn't work out. And maybe uh, the husband or wife should come together for a limited time and specifically just pray, Lord, help us. Help us to connect sexually. We, We struggle with this. Another reason that a couple could choose not to have sexual intercourse together is to fast. It's maybe to use that time to pray and to, to fast and to remind themselves that, that their ultimate satisfaction comes from Jesus, not from being together in that way. Or maybe that couple simply wants to come together to fast. And to pray for other people. Maybe it's a a single friend or maybe it's a a person who's going through some type of brokenness or or maybe it's a a noble cause. In the Old Testament, we see when Israel would go on a fast that that oftentimes it says that that the husbands and wives, 
did not sleep together during that duration of the fast in order to focus on what they had set their heart to. But here's the key. If this is what you're doing and if this is what is to occur, then both spouses need to agree about it. One spouse can't say, oh, I'm fasting and I'm praying for 40 days. And the Bible says that, we, we, that I have a reason not to have sexual intercourse during this time. No, it's something that you, you agree about. And not only is it something that you agree about, but look at what the text says. He says, for a limited time. He says that you may devote yourselves to prayer. You may say, well, limited time is 40 days. The spouse is like, no, a limited time is four days. Right? And then he says, come together again. Why is this the emphasis? Why a limited time? He says, because Satan may tempt you. Satan hates marriage. Satan hates God. Satan's job is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He does not want your marriage to go the distance. He is going to do everything he can to discourage you and to push you towards divorce and separation. Satan hates marriage because he hates God. God assigned marriage, he designed marriage, and he blessed marriage. Satan wants to rip marriage apart. He wants to redefine marriage. He wants to take marriage under because it reflects something of great importance. It reflects Christ's love for the church and the church's respect and love for Christ. It it reflects the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It is the one institution that reflects the gospel. And it's the one institution that needs the gospel the most. Satan wants to take you out. And one of the ways that Satan takes us out is by getting us sexually confused and sexually depressed and, and, and having our sex life seem to be overbearing. He wants to drown you. And the worst thing you can do as a married couple is to not be sexually intimate. It's one of the worst things you can do. It's to just allow this area to die. Because Satan is going to make sure that someone is tempted. And he wants someone to fall. Why? Because adultery is one of the hardest things to get over. In marriage, when a husband and a wife comes together and they, they, they make vows before the Lord and before their friends and before their family, they, they take ownership of each other. And when one spouse steps out of the marriage for someone else, it crushes the other spouse. And some people never get to the point of being able to forgive and to move on. And Satan knows that, so he's constantly tempting. He, he tempts us to be unfaithful by not pouring ourselves into our spouse, but maybe by pouring ourselves into internet pornography. He tempts us by, by telling us that it's okay to watch R-rated movies that has explicit nudity and telling us that it really doesn't hurt. He tempts us by lying to us and telling us that we don't need our spouse for sexual fulfillment. All we need to do is is go home and and to masturbate and to get that release. But no, God has not called you to have sex with yourself. He calls you to have sex with your spouse. And if you're finding sexual fulfillment any other way, it doesn't bring glory to God and it doesn't help you. It trains you to be selfish. Some spouses have work spouses, not fulfilled in their marriage. They look forward to going to work every day to see this person, talk to this person, to be filled emotionally. Why? Because Joe, Jody, he understands me. And you start off saying, no, I will never cheat on my spouse. I'll never cheat on my wife. Then you start not coming together and Then you start looking forward to seeing that person and hugging that person. And then before you know it, you're in a hotel room with that person. Then it's just an ugly web. Satan has got you. He's 
got you with lies. Jody, Jody's okay with it. Because Jody doesn't have to take out the trash. Jody doesn't have to change a pamper. Jody doesn't have to see you with your green mask on at night. Satan creeps in. Paul said, no, you come together quickly. Cultivating a healthy sex life is a huge defense against adultery. Cultivating a healthy sex life is a huge defense against adultery. In fact, in my study notes, as I was writing and preparing a sermon, I've got this font in my notes, like four to six fonts higher in bold with caps around it. Because so many people fall and fail. Because sex is something that they don't talk about at home, something that they're not pursuing, something that stopped after year two. Who did you think you were marrying? What did you think marriage was? Marriage is tough. That idea, that honeymoon stage, it's going to go. But God has given us sex. He has given us sexual intercourse in order to be super glue in our marriage to bring us together. When we can't talk and when we can't communicate, he, 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 bring, he allows us some time to break the ice. But many times we go the, the opposite direction. So what does it mean not to deprive one another? How regularly should a couple have sexual relations? It's getting hot in here, isn't it? Y'all know, I normally write my manuscript, memorize it, and walk around, right? Y'all see today, I'm reading. I'm making sure I'm not getting no emails tomorrow because I phrased something the wrong way. Amen. So how regular should a couple have sexual relations? Um, and I, I want to say that's something that each spouse needs to talk about with each other. Something that needs to be determined because each marriage can look a little different. It depends on the sex drive of both spouses. It also depends on the season of life you're in. It depends on your work schedule, your, your children, how old are they? <laughs> How much energy do you have? What stage in life are you in? The point is that both spouses should be grown enough to come together and to say, Here, here's where I am. Let's talk. And both should, if they're walking with Jesus and pouring themselves into God's word, should be able to come to a place like Paul said in 1 Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, to do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, in humility, to put the other person before yourself. And if both spouses are, are cultivating their relationship with Jesus, abiding in Jesus, they should begin to come to a place where they just want to see the other spouse pleased and are willing to make a sacrifice for them. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How much did Christ love his bride? How much does he love us to death? Wives, submit to your Christ as the church submits to Christ. How much is the church supposed to submit to Christ? And everything, total surrender. If both are coming with an attitude into marriage and, and talking about these things, they should be able to come together and find a healthy medium. Listen, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, write this scripture down. Something that we all need to meditate and keep at the forefront of our mind as regards to sexual relationships, sexual relations in marriage, sexual relations, not relationships, amen. It says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexual immoral and adulterous. Not being satisfied in your sexual relationship is not an acceptable reason to commit adultery. It's not an acceptable reason to lunge into pornography or to flirt or to daydream about someone else. In fact, God demands that, that the marriage bed should be honored by all. Now, if he demands that and he knows that marriage is messy and marriage is tough and that we go through different, different cycles in our life, and sometimes it is just hard, man. It's just hard to find time, right? 
of tired at the end of the night. Like, uh, you up? You up? No. Right? Sometimes that's the season. If, and if he, if he knows that, but he still doesn't give us an excuse to step out in our marriage. And the reason he doesn't give us an excuse is because he can give us the power to be faithful during those seasons. He gives us the power to be faithful. The power to be faithful is not found in oneself. It's not found in, in writing a list. The power to be faithful is looking to the one who was faithful. Jesus was faithful as a single person for 33 years. He did not sin sexually. We look to Jesus as our example, but we also look to him as our source of power. And if we do fall and we do fail, praise God that we get to look to him as our pardon. We can find forgiveness at the cross. We can confess our sins to our spouse and we can move on. Sex does not make you complete. Jesus was perfect and he never had sex. So to top off our family discussion, we're going to look at very quickly 10 ways that husbands and wives can work to foster a vibrant fulfilling, God-honoring sex life. And it may surprise you that most of these things, they take place outside of the bedroom. So real quick, we want to fly through, through these as we look at what Paul has to say about sexual uh, relations in marriage. He, he tells the church of Corinth, no, you've got it wrong. A holy man is not a man who can restrain and, and, and be self-controlled and doesn't need to have sexual intercourse with his wife. No, God has blessed sexual intercourse, and we need to come together as often as we can to celebrate what God has done in our union. But I want to give you some practical, practical ways, 10 ways to foster sexual intimacy in marriage. In marriage. And for my singles, as you are listening to this sermon, as you're listening to this list, I, I want you to... Uh, to be aware of these things for a number of reasons. Number one, to pray for your married friends. Pray for your married couples. Many couples are struggling, again, for many reasons. And one reason I think that we have neglected to talk about this as a family as much as we, as we should. This is a huge deal. But besides praying for uh, those who you know who are married, you also, God is going to use you to be able to minister to those who you know who are married. You may have a, a friend at work or a, a girlfriend or a close friend who's married, and she may open up to you and say, hey, I'm just really struggling in this area of my marriage. And then you can go, well, here's 10 ways. Here's 10 ways to foster sexual intimacy. What, girl? Man, you just, how you know this stuff? Right? But also, these are tools for you. For if and when the Lord calls you to be married, that you can go into marriage without this wish dream or this Hollywood fantasy life about what sex is going to be like in marriage. To know that sexual relationships, sexual relations in marriage is hard work and it takes intentionality. So let's fly through this real quick. Y'all ready? All right. So this is kind of David Letterman style. I gave you a, a list of, of 10 things. Uh, starting at number 10 and working our way down to number one, and we're just going to go through this, all right? Number 10, deal with the hurts experienced in marriage. Most of the things we want to talk about has very little to do in the bedroom. We're not talking technique. <laughs> we're talking about things that's outside, all right? Now, if we wasn't in church, y'all would have laughed. Step up to church, we just get real holy, right? Not supposed to say that word. Don't joke about it, don't. Deal with the hurts experienced in in marriage. Some couples struggle with intimacy because they have grown simply not to to not like each other. There's too much unresolved tension in the marriage. They can't come together because they have stuffed so many things under the rug. And they can't embrace each other because they're tripping over that rug. For some... That means that that you have to deal with those issues that's keeping you from connecting. Maybe you're harboring bitterness. Maybe you're harboring unforgiveness. I want to encourage you to run and get help. Go to a counselor. There's nothing wrong with going to get help. There's nothing wrong with going to get counseling. There's nothing wrong with sitting with a pastor and saying, here is my struggle. Help us to work through this in order that we can be obedient to Scripture. 
This is written as a command. Couples are supposed to engage, are expected, are commanded to engage each other sexually. And we've got to deal with the issues that's keeping us from being able to do that. So deal with past hurts. Before you go forward, you have to, you may have to go back. Going back means being obedient to the Lord. Care about your spouse enough to protect them from adultery by cultivating sexual intimacy. Number nine, intimacy begins with saying good morning. Intimacy begins with saying good morning. Fellas, this is a generalization, but something that we need to know and learn is is that God has created us different than most women. For, For guys, we can just completely lay aside an argument or fight we just had and put on some romantic music, come in the room. She's like, no, he ain't. All oiled up, ready to go. And, and she, she's like, she's not feeling that. Because of maybe the way you treated her when you got up in the morning. Intimacy begins with saying good morning. Saying it in a warm way. Laying aside what happened yesterday, getting before the Lord, asking the Lord to give you a heart that forgives, talking about it with your spouse, and then throughout the day, cultivating and building up to whenever you all come together. So set a kind tone from the moment you wake up. Number eight, make meaningful conversations a regular occurrence. Make meaningful conversations a regular occurrence. Another generalization is that uh, women are more conversational than men. Um, I went and researched and looked at all kind of different studies about this. And each study, even though there isn't really a a hard science on this, um, little surveys and studies, uh, it is expected that women, most, most surveys said that women use anywhere from four to 10,000 words more a day. <laughs> a day. God has built, it's a generalization, you know, but God has built most want women in a way where they just got a lot on their mind and they want to talk about it. So you say, hey, did you find what you were looking for in the grocery store? And they don't just say yes. They say, listen, I was so mad when I got to the grocery store, there was a cart in the spot that I Why do people do that? And then I went in and da-da-da-da, and they walk you through the whole experience, right? And the husband's just like slowly sinking. (laughs) Man, that's how God has built your wife. You want to embrace that. That's beautiful. And pray to the Lord to help you to be Quick to listen and slow to speak. So make sure that you're having meaningful conversations with your spouse. And here's a rule of thumb that I I, I like to think about often, and it's this. Between the times that you touch her body, stimulate her mind. Don't just pursue her body. Pursue her mind. Something that we do in, in marriage counseling with couples is uh, an assignment that I often give is an assignment called 10 tens. And what 10 tens is, I challenge the couple that from uh, our next meeting is to get together and to set out 10 minutes where uh, each spouse has, gets to talk, all right, for 10 minutes and the other spouse can't say anything. Now, you can break that up into two instances of, of five minutes. But that spouse gets to say whatever is on their mind, whether it's serious or what, and the other spouse just has to listen and take it in. Because it cultivates a a heart that is willing to listen and also um, that is learning to communicate what's on their heart. Number seven, practice spontaneous acts of love. Practice spontaneous acts of love. Sexual intimacy is fostered when you send a text message to your spouse midday and just let them know that you love them. When you have a thought about when you all were dating and something fun that you did and you, you don't keep that thought in, but you just shared, hey, I was just thinking about that time by the river, blah, blah, blah. Good thoughts, sorry, not, 
appropriate, non-sinful times by the river. So sending an encouraging text message, when was the last time you, you just brought home your spouse's favorite snack without them mentioning? When was the last time you just wrote a, a handwritten letter to them? Wives, when was the last time you just wrote and left a message to your husband that says, I respect you, or a husband where you just told your wife how she made you feel when she did something kind? Six, grow in spiritual intimacy together. Grow in spiritual intimacy together. Pray together. Fast together. Read the Bible together. Read books together. Grow together spiritually. Connecting spiritually with your spouse helps you to connect physically through prayer and meditation. Your spouse's soul becomes nude. Deep conversation leads to deep times of sexual intimacy. Number five, have periodic state of the sex life conversations. Oh, our president has State of the Union talks. Where he comes out and says, this is on my mind, here's where we are, here's where we're going. Couples need to come together and talk about that. What are you embarrassed about? It's your spouse. Wasn't embarrassed about it before you got married. Oh, oh girl. <laughs> girl, if we was married. All of a sudden we get married, it's like, don't. Talk about it. It's your spouse. Have a conversation. Ask your spouse, how is this going? How have you been feeling lately? Do you feel that we've been doing this regular enough? That this has been, this has been regular enough? Do, do you feel that, uh, uh, that, 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 that we're leading up to a well? And so forth. Have those talks. Plan times of intimacy. Take, take trips away where that is the main focus for a day or two. Go to a boring place, too, where there's nothing else to do. <laughs> Number four, schedule and follow through with regular date nights. Listen, stop being boring. Stop being lazy. Get off the couch. Turn off the game. Turn off the Kardashians. Take your wife, wives, say yes to your husbands, and go out on a date. What happened to you guys? What happened to wooing each other? Marriage and sexual intercourse in marriage is as steamy and dreamy as you two make it. Number three, have times of non-sexual physical touch. Have times of non-sexual physical touch. Husbands, Let's, let's work on and let's cultivate being able to give our wives back massages and hold hands without expecting something afterwards. And that's going to take prayer, I know. So now you have something to fast about this week. <laughs> Number two, health and hygiene. We didn't send the kids out for no reason, amen? Health and hygiene. When you're doing your best to take care of yourself, it helps to eliminate barriers of sexual, personal insecurities, as well as offending your spouse. Amen. Number one, foster an ambiance or environment that encourages intimacy. Foster an environment that encourages intimacy. Set the mood for intimacy. All right? Some of our bedrooms, it's hard to get in and it's hard to get out. That does not encourage <laughs> intimacy. All right? So clean the space. Play some good, wholesome music. All right? Doesn't necessarily have to be Christian, but play some wholesome music. All right? Get that Marvin Gaye out. Huh? 
that John Legend out. All of me loves all of you. Right? Y'all would never hear that, sa- that song again the same way, would you? You have to be singing. Right? <laughs> Set the ambiance. Light some candles. Love each other. Get some romantic smells going. And the last I'm going to do an honorable mention, uh, mention. Is, is sexual intercourse and relations in marriage should be something that both people are proactive in initiating. Both people should be proactive in initiating. One spouse may not have the, the sex drive or the, or, or the same need, but one way you can love your spouse is by initiating it sometimes. It can be burdensome when that spouse feels like they are the person that's always initiating sexual intercourse and discouraging. So go and, and work on that. John Piper, in his, in his book, we'll close with this, this momentary marriage says this, Jesus' teaching in general implies that happy and fulfilling sexual relations in marriage depend on each partner aiming to give satisfaction to the other. If it is the joy of each to make the other happy, a hundred problems will be solved before they hundred problems will be solved before they happen. Let's not make our sexual relationship with our spouse about us. Let's make it about honoring God and honoring our spouse. And if both couples have a goal to satisfy each other, then those goals will, will be met. And if not, fast, pray, and come back and try it again. What we learn about God from this text is that God cares about every area of our lives. Not a a boring God. He cares about those things. And marriage is built on both emotional, spiritual, and sexual unity. And again, if you're displeased or if you feel a weight on your heart because one of these top ten things or multiple things you're just not doing well, join a club. When me and my wife, we came together to make this list, we didn't make it thinking, oh, we're perfect and we've got it all together. We were able to have that state of the union sex talk and and, and talk about some things. Listen, we all are in process. We all are pieces of clay on a potter's wheel. We all are in different seasons. We have different things to work through, but let's work through them. Let's work through them. And I pray for the singles here and and those who are even younger, that you would see that God cares about these things and that you will pray and anticipate one day that you will be fulfilled in that way if God has called you to that. Amen? Amen. To the person who's here today who doesn't know Jesus, and we want to invite you to know Jesus. Hopefully you've learned today that Christianity is not about living a boring, isolated life, but it's about being vibrant and that the Bible actually encourages you to do things that maybe you didn't think it encouraged you to do. Today, we want to invite you to know Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus died in your place.